Our sermon text today is going to be Mark 9, verses 14 to 29. We see in this passage a story that's also told in Matthew and in Luke, but strangely, uh, in Matthew and Luke, it's actually much shorter, much briefer. Usually Mark is the one who's more brief, more to the point, more concise. Uh, today he's, he's much wordier than Matthew and Luke, in fact, is, is twice as long as either of them are. So we're going to jump right in. Uh, Mark 9, verses 14 to 29. If you're able, please rise out of respect for God's word. As I read to you, this is the inspired word of God. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when The spirit saw him immediately. It convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. It has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. After crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up. And he arose. When he had entered the house, the disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and inspired word, our only infallible rule for faith and practice. The grass withers, the flower fades. The word of our God stands forever. You may be seated. As you are, would you pray with me once more? Lord God, speak to us today through your word. Help us to see you. For it is in seeing you and seeing and seeing the Lord Jesus clearly that we are transformed. And that is our desire, that we would be made like him. So do that today in our hearts, we ask in his name. Amen. Have you ever had one of those days? One of those days where everything is going great. You know, where the... the the weather's nice, and you, you got a good night's sleep the night before, and you're full of energy, and everybody's just being nice to you, and, and everything is just going great, and then suddenly, out of nowhere, it just crashes, right? Everything falls down, and it's kind of like, like uh, you know, a movie, if there was a movie soundtrack to your life, you know, it'd be playing sweet, melodious, gentle tunes, and then all of a sudden you'd hear a record scratch, right? You know, and just, I imagine that's kind of how 
things were for Peter, James, and John here, as well as Jesus for that matter. But Peter, James, and John specifically, as they've just gone up on the Mount of Transfiguration, they've beheld the Lord in all of his glory. And, and they come down from this literal mountaintop experience. Got to be just basking in the glow of what's happened. And they find the world in all of its brokenness. There's a boy tormented by an evil spirit. There's a father agonizing over his son. There are disciples who are, are lamenting the fact that they're not able to do what they want to do. There are scribes who are mocking them and likely Jesus as well. What a picture of the world in which we live. Right? And in addition to this, William Lane adds, the return from the glory of the transfiguration to the reality of the demonic possession serves to reinforce the theme that Jesus enters into his glory only through confrontation with the demonic and the suffering this entails. That's kind of what we talked about last week. But even more than that, I think what today's text is all about is it gives us a picture of the true nature of faith. I want to look specifically at four things today. True faith is focused on Jesus. True faith is often mixed with doubt. True faith is not an instant cure-all. And true faith is an expression of dependence. First of all, true faith is focused on Jesus. I, I've gotten to the age where, where I, I now often use these, right? If I'm going to read something, especially something small print, I will uh, put these guys on and, oh, I can see it. It looks good. But you, you know what happens if I'm looking at you guys? You guys are, whoa, just kind of really blurry out of focus. I'm kind of busy just doing that right now. It, it, it throws everything out of focus. But it doesn't matter, right? I still wear these when I'm reading because when I'm reading, I'm not trying to see out there. I'm just looking at what I'm reading. That's what needs to be in focus at that moment. That's what needs to be clear. I, my eyes need to be on it. And so it is that we must be looking at the right things. And true faith focuses on Jesus. Peter, James, John, and Jesus come down into this mess. And they see this great crowd. And there are scribes arguing with the disciples who had been there. And you can imagine the nature of the argument. It's really not so much an argument, I don't think, as it was the scribes taunting the disciples, right? You guys are worthless. You claim to follow this one who is going to deliver us from Rome, and, and you can't even deliver this one boy from the powers of the demon. And, and the disciples, I can imagine, getting defensive, as I would if I were in that situation. Well, we've done it before. We've, we've delivered people from demons before. You remember that that happened back in Mark 6, where Jesus had sent them out and gave them authority to do so, and they did so, came back and told Jesus about it, and, and it was wonderful. And, and they, they say, we've done it before, and I'm sure those guys are like, sure you have. No, sure you have. Now, we might wonder why the scribes, if they're so high and mighty, didn't just expel the demon from the boy themselves, you know, but, but that's another story for another day. Uh, but that's the way it often is, isn't it? We, we sometimes see people who are doing things 
in a way that we think is the wrong way. It's not the right way that they should be doing it, i.e. the way that we do it. And we get very critical of them. We get very, very dismissive of them, even when we're not able or willing to do the things that they're doing, right? They're doing it wrong. We get up on our high horse, just like the scribes, when what we need to do is be careful that we need more humility, more, more thinking, uh, even when, when others are doing things the way we think is wrong, we need to be more humble. We need to have a humble heart. And, and immediately we see here that, that what happens is Jesus shows up on the scene. And the crowd, we see, is amazed, greatly amazed. They run up to him. Why are they greatly amazed? I'm going to guess that it's because they've seen or at least heard of the amazing things that Jesus has done, the miracles that he has accomplished, the, the, the wonders and signs, certainly worth getting excited over, yes. But I want to underline that true faith is not focused on the works. It's not focused on the miracles. It's not focused on what Jesus can do for me. True faith is focused on Jesus, who he is. Remember Hebrews 11, the Hall of Fame of Faith, where it goes through a long list of people who lived by faith, and then what follows right after Hebrews 11? Pop quiz, Hebrews 12, right? You guys knew that. Uh, but Hebrews 12 begins, you might not recall, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race set out for us, Looking to Jesus, right? We want to look to Jesus. We want to focus on Jesus to see him and see that he is pure holiness, but he is also pure compassion and mercy and love. We want to look to him as the compassionate one. Uh, uh, apologist Glenn Scrivener, who I jokingly refer to as my distant cousin, he's from Australia, uh, he, he says that Jesus is, I like this phrase, he says, compassion on legs, covered with flesh. I love that picture that he's drawing. He's pure compassion. Right? Titus 3 says, when goodness and loving kindness of our God, of God our Savior appeared. It's talking about Jesus, right? It's, it's saying he is goodness. He is loving kindness. He is compassion. He's the ultimate picture of compassion. Compassion, if we think about the word itself in English, right? It's calm, which means with, right? It, with, it's kind of like, you know, if you order pasta con broccoli, right? Or, or my favorite, masticcioli con salsizza, right? That, that middle word there in the Italian con, it's like the Latin calm, uh, it means with, right? And passion, principal Latin word, passio, means suffering. Right? We think of the passion of the Christ, Passion of our Lord, right? his suffering. So calm passion would be to suffer with. And what has Jesus done but suffered with and for us? Just the taking on of human flesh, entering into our existence is a, a mark of suffering. But he suffered way beyond that, going to the cross for us, paying our penalty, dying for our sins, literally murdered to give us life. He suffered for us. What great compassion. So he asks here, he asks the disciples, what are you arguing about with them? And someone, not the disciples, someone else interjects. They answer, teacher, I brought my son 
to you. Luke tells us that it was his only son, in fact, his only child. And when we hear about that, we're reminded of other cases. Mark 7, the widow of Nain, whose only son was there before Jesus to raise. Mark 8, 42, Jairus, worried about his only daughter who needed the raising hand of Jesus to, to heal her. Of course, we remember John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. See, we understand when it's your child, it's, it's a beloved person, your only child kind of ratchets it up a little bit, doesn't it? And, and we understand the pain and the, the anxiety that this man today must have felt at the widow of Nain or Jairus. We understand how, how their suffering was made all the worse because it was their only son. It should remind us of the great sacrifice that God made on our behalf to send his only son for us. We feel this pain. We understand what it's like. This man comes to Jesus in the midst of his anguish, in the midst of his, his sorrow, but, but he has a certain expectation, doesn't it? He has an expectation that, that Jesus is going to be able to do something about it. He, that's why he, he comes to him here. Uh, when, whenever it seizes him, he says, it, it, it throws him down, he foams, he grinds his teeth, becomes rigid, it's terrible. So, so I asked your disciples to cast it out, and, and they weren't able to. Literally, uh, they were not strong enough to do it. They lacked power. Remember just these last couple weeks where we've been on that Mount of Transfiguration. What was that but a picture of the coming of the kingdom in power? We were shown, it was a, a visual display of what, what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4.20, that the kingdom of God consists not in talk, but in power. But they were not able to they did not have that power. Perhaps because they were trusting in themselves. They were thinking, we've done this before. We'll be able to do this again. We're hot stuff. But they weren't. And Jesus is frustrated with them. Jesus becomes frustrated at times. You know, the, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. But he's also human. He's human and he deals with the frustrations of humanity. He deals with our brokenness. And he becomes, becomes exasperated here. He, he answers them, oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? And, and, and people ask sometimes, what, who is he talking to exactly when he talks about this faithless generation? I think it's kind of everybody, right? It's everybody involved in the story. He's, he's upset with the disciples who, who can't deliver the boy. He's upset with the father who can't understand why his son hadn't been delivered. The crowds who are excited because of the commotion, but not really because of him. The scribes who, who are arguing with the disciples accusingly, each is faithless in their own way. And so are we. In fact, our second point today, faith, true faith is often mixed with doubt. Bring him to me, Jesus says. They bring him to him ultimately and and he asks how long it's been and, and he tells him what's been happening and we can see here that that there is this this goal it's often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him and that is satan's goal indeed for each of us right because he like every human being is created in the image of god 
And Satan detests that. He is, he is seeking to destroy him, just like 1 Peter 5.8 says that our enemy, our adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Right? And, and, and so the, the father says to Jesus, but if you can do anything, have compassion and help us. Do you understand the, the, the mathematical equation he's put together here, right? He says, says, if you can do anything, ability, have compassion upon us and help us. So he's saying ability plus compassion equals our solution, right? Our salvation, our deliverance. Ability plus compassion equals the solution. But Jesus says to him, in essence, you're missing one point, one very important point here. Indignantly almost, he says, if you can, all things are possible. He doesn't end there, though. Right? He could have. He could have just said, all things are possible for me. I'm God after all. That's not what he says. He says, all things are possible for one who believes. He says here that, that it's not just ability plus compassion that equals the solution. It's ability plus compassion plus faith. Right? He's, he's calling on him to trust in him, to have faith in him, to depend upon him. Faith and healing have been tied together many times throughout Mark. We don't need to rehearse all of those that we've gone over. But, but basically, we see here what the Father says immediately after. He cries out, some ancient manuscripts say, with tears in his eyes. I believe. Help my unbelief. You know, in all the Bible, that might be my favorite verse. It might be my very favorite verse. It definitely is a prayer that resonates in my, with my heart. I hope with yours. I believe. Help my unbelief. Right? Because... Because the reality is that, that every time we sin, it is an act of unbelief. Every time we doubt, it is an act of unbelief. Every time we waver, it's an act of unbelief. Every time we fear and worry, it's an act of unbelief. I believe. Help my unbelief. But that's how true faith is, isn't it? Right? Any faith that we actually have is always intermingled with doubt. It almost has to be that way, doesn't it? Because like, if, if we were certain about everything and there was no doubt whatsoever, that, that's almost not faith, right? You, I wouldn't say, I have faith that I'm in the pulpit right now. No, that's not really faith. That's just knowledge. I just see it. I'm certain of it. I have faith that you all are here in front of me. No, I, I see you. You're here. I'm certain of it. Now, if I say, I have faith that you'll be back here next week. Well, now that's a different story, isn't it? Because something else might happen. You might not make it. You might be sick. You might say, I'm tired of listening to Pete preach. I don't know what you're going to do. Right? So it requires some, some doubt co-playing with faith. And we should allow for that. We should understand that that's the case. J.C. Ryle says, a man may be converted, have a new heart, be a holy man, and yet be liable to infirmity, doubts, and fears. And in fact, in Jude, we read together earlier today in our Unison Scripture reading, have mercy on those who have doubt. My 
prayer is that Calvary would be a place where people with doubts, people with questions, people with worries, people with fears could bring them forth. That we can be together and work through those together. We don't need to have an answer to their fears and to their doubts right away either. We don't need to be able to to say, okay, here's the answer and, and don't figure it out anymore. Right? So now we say, well, let's work through this together. Let's walk together. Let's learn together. Let's grow together. Right? I believe there are answers. I don't know them all. I know some of them, but not all of them. Let's find them together. Let's live life together. Let's be honest with each other about our fears and pray for each other and encourage one another. Let's make room for doubt. Well, Jesus saw this crowd comes together. They see him and he cries out. He commands the spirit never to enter again. He doesn't beg. He doesn't plead. He commands. He doesn't say just for right now. He says never return, right? And he can do this because he has all power for all eternity, right? Our elected officials, for instance, we elect to two, four, six years, right? Even a Supreme Court justice is only for the duration of their life, right? And all of their powers are limited to the scope in which they have power. Jesus has all power for all time. He has all authority, and so he can do whatever he wants. Even so, faith doesn't mean that everything will be fixed immediately, right? There are some times people will tell you that it does. They'll say, if only you have enough faith, everything will be good in your life. If only you have enough faith, you, won't, you wouldn't be sick, right? And conversely, if you are sick, well, clearly you didn't have enough faith. That's what the problem is. And that's a lie from the pit of hell, right? That is not God's word, God's truth, right? There will be times, because we live in a broken, fallen world, where things will be bad. Faith does not promise there will be no troubles. It's not an instant cure-all. That's our third point on true faith. We see this example here after crying out and convulsing him terribly. It came out. The spirit came out. That's good. And the boy was like a corpse so that most of them said he's dead. That's bad. (laughs) That's bad. Sometimes in the providence of God we can do things the right way. We can trust in him and things actually get worse. It's then that we need to trust God all the more. You remember that being delivered from the clutches of Satan can be like death. In fact, that's often what it is. It is a death to one's self. But Jesus does not leave us in our death. We see here this example. He took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Similar to earlier in Mark, Mark 1, you remember Simon Peter's mother-in-law who was sick, and in that Jesus came and took her, we read, by the hand and lifted her up. Jairus' daughter in Mark 5, taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking. It's a parable of source for what Jesus does to us. He comes to us in our death. He comes to us and he takes us by the hand. And he lifts us up to new life. To true life. For the first time. In all of his compassion, his steadfast love, his mercy, and his grace, he gives us new life, lifting us up that we might walk with him and serve him, that we might love God and love neighbor, 
to the glory of Christ Jesus. Sometimes that walk through the valley of the shadow of death strangely makes it all better in the end. Yesterday I was sitting, this is just a little minor example, but I was sitting at, 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 uh, next to a window as I worked on this very sermon, and I was looking out, and all of a sudden it just started absolutely pouring. I don't know if where you were, it did that yesterday, but it was just buckets upon buckets upon buckets, and then no sooner had it started, it just stopped. And within minutes, the sun had actually come out. And I was like, wow. And the sun just looked so incredibly bright. And I'm sure that it wasn't any brighter yesterday than it is on any other day. But it was just kind of the, the comparison to how dark it had been just moments before to how bright it was then caused me to glory in the brightness of the sun. And that's what God does sometimes. Right? He allows us to go through darkness. He allows us to endure hardship so that we might all the better know his presence in our lives and revel in its glory. If everything's going well all the time, then we'll tend to think, well, we probably deserve that. We take it for granted. It's because of something we've done, but we need to remember that it's all a matter of God's grace. Always remember to be gracious to him as a result. This is a mark of true faith. Finally, our fourth one. True faith is an expression of dependence. When they entered the house, the disciples asked him privately. And I love how they did that. They asked him privately, right? They didn't wait, or they waited until they weren't around everybody else. Nobody wants a performance review in public, right? Why could we not cast it out? It's a really good question. What they're asking here essentially is this. What was wrong with my faith? What was lacking in my faith? What, what was I not able to do that for? It's interesting how he responds. He doesn't say, well, well, your theology wasn't quite well enough developed, right? You, you hadn't done enough good deeds or, you know, you, you, you hadn't been to enough, you know, Bible studies. No, he doesn't say that. He, he says to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Not that prayer somehow earns God's favor, but rather prayer is an expression of dependence, right? What is it? But, but saying, I'm not able, God, but you are. Help me, because you alone can bring this about, right? That's what prayer is. Prayer is saying, I can't accomplish this. You can. It's reaching out to God for help that he might lift us up. And so we as a people must pray, 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 I shared a quote yesterday on Facebook from the Puritan Thomas Watson. He said, Jesus went more willingly to the cross than we do to the throne of grace. That is to our great shame, isn't it crazy? That the Lord Jesus would go to the cross more willingly than we would come before God in prayer. He's opened the way to the throne of grace for us. Why would we not go before him, especially with all the promises of Scripture? Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. The, the examples of the persistent widow of Luke 18, or the Syrophoenician woman of Mark 7, or Paul's command to pray without ceasing in 1 Thessalonians 5, or his own example in Colossians 1, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Let us be a church full of people who pray. Pray for one another and for our community. Pray for the well-being of our neighbors. Pray for reconciliation of broken relationships around us and with us. And pray 
for God to work in us to make us more like Christ Jesus. What the church needs more than anything else is not bigger, better programs, not bigger personalities. It needs people transformed by the love of Christ so that they love God and love neighbor. And they realize they can't do that on their own power, so they pray. We must be committed to prayer. So let us have faith. Faith that is focused on Jesus. Faith that is often mixed with doubt. Faith that is not an instant cure-all, but faith that is an expression of dependence. Would you pray with me? Lord, we, we ask now that even in this time that we've been together, even in these words that have been shared, that, that your spirit might work, that you might be powerful. For if everything is up to just my abilities to proclaim these things and my persuasiveness and my eloquence, as it were, then it would be worthless. But Lord, you have all power. You work through your word preached. And so we ask you to do so now in each of us individually and in us corporately that we might glorify you. We ask it in the name of Jesus, our great friend and elder brother. Amen. If you're able, please rise as we sing our closing hymn, Jesus, what a friend for sinners.